So, I got the Back to the Future 30th Anniversary Trilogy. Um, I've never owned Back to the Future. Oh. So this is my first copy of it. I felt like getting it on October 21st was a good day to get yeah. it. Um, and it's really nice. It's like a book, almost. And then the digital download type That's stuff. That's really nice. And then the last one is a bonus disc, which I don't know if you've seen the video of a duck basically talking to people saying, hey, it should be the future. Today, yeah, it's uh, the the final speech of the entire thing, right? Where it's like, the future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Yeah. And then they have two episodes of uh, Back to the Future of the Animated Series. Did you ever watch that? I, I distinctly remember watching mm-hmm. it. Like, I remember having to go to my dad's office on the weekend and it being on CBS. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was good. Well, I think that's as good of a point as any to start uh, the first ever Flashbacks Flicks podcast. We Welcome. did it. We made it. Episode number one. We've arrived. <laughs> Episode number one. We arrived to the future with the podcast. We did. Um, I don't want to be that guy that's talking about his podcast on the podcast, but what is this podcast all about? I'm so glad you asked, Grayson. So um, I think we are due for some introductions for those of you listening for the first time. My name is Ricky. Uh, I make fun, nerdy videos on the internet as Stu Dippin. And the other voice that you will be hearing is Grayson. And I am Ricky's friend. I'll... That's what I do. <laughs> I just hang around. I might be imaginary. You don't know. It's a fan theory. I like it. Yeah, no, but this is a podcast where we uh, basically talk about movies uh, from our past. Because uh, I hit a point in time in my life where I realized that most movies that I grew up with or that were being released during my childhood, like, as an adult, I feel like I can appreciate these movies more than when I was just a Mm. kid. And I think Back to the Future... Is one of those movies that, like, it was kind of around when I was a kid, and I remember seeing uh, Back to the Future 2 a lot um, as a kid, but man, watching it on Back to the Future Day and re-seeing all the different references and all the different things that this movie was, I saw it with completely new eyes, and that's kind of what the idea of this podcast is, is looking at movies for what they were back in the day and seeing what they are now and talking about it with my West friend, Grace. Oh, West friend. I like that because we're technically two time zones apart from each other right now. Yeah. And so, um, that's the idea of the podcast. In the first episode, we want to talk about back to the future. Yes. So back to the future yeah. day just happened. That's like a big thing yeah. right now for us. Oh yeah. Um, Everyone is talking about it. It's uh, it's pretty insane because I expected there to be some parties about Back to the Future. I didn't realize that a majority of the people I know would lose their minds over it. Right? It's it's like realizing that everyone else has the same birthday mm-hmm. as you. And it's just like, oh, I thought it was just going to be me being some of my friends. Yeah, you assume that you're going to be the only one that's super hyped about Back to the Future Day, and then you get there and the theater's sold out and everyone's wearing their their future hats, and it was pretty amazing. It was fun. Can I tell you that I legitimately drove around town trying to find a future hat? Oh, really? There was a guy in our theater that had it, and I was like, oh, oh, if there's ever a time for a mugging, I guess it would be now. Give me your hat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was pretty cool to see all of the the different ones. Uh, A cool thing, so up in Burbank, they were uh, at the house... That the McFly house that they actually shot it is, is in Burbank. So at 429, which is when he's supposed to come in, a DeLorean drove up to the house. That's yeah. awesome. People there taking pictures. Uh, but stuff like that. Yeah. Like you think you're just going to be a quiet celebration, but people go all out. I mean, it's it's really amazing. When you, like Back to the Future, the franchise, is, it's one of your favorites. Right? Uh, I, I would argue that it is my favorite cinematic story. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I include so, the trilogy in that. I used to say it was just number two was my favorite, but mm-hmm. Back to the Future Day kind of reshaped my view of that. And we can talk a little bit about that. But I would say the Back to the Future story is my favorite story that is told on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember the first time I really watched like the first Back to the Future like as an adult was with mm-hmm. you when we were in college. And it was so great to see like how uh much a you love the movie but b like how cool of a story that it tells Mm -hmm. um so you saw it 
Like, when, when was the first time that you saw Uh like, First time I saw it, I had to be about four years old. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I, I have had the... Uh, the benefit of enjoying Back to the Future in many forms. Uh, my first viewing of Back to the Future was actually on television. So it was all cleaned up and uh, network safe. And I would record them on VHS and then watch them back um, over and over again. Wait, how network safe are we talking? Like, did they cut out uh, Marty falling in love or Marty's mom falling in love with him? Like, that Oh, no. Safe, uh, that was all fair game. Uh, you get to see Biff <laughs> in the car. Uh, about to become a sex offender and all that, but it they yeah, you know they yeah. cut out profanity and made it family friendly. Okay. Yeah. No, it's so for a long time I thought the quote was, "When this is eighty eight, you're about to see some serious stuff," because that was what it was on on my tape anyway. It said that for a long time, and so then uh, I grew up and I saw Back to the Future not on VHS tapes. So yeah, I, I've had Back to the Future from like VHS, and then I. Got it when the the DVDs came out, and then they had the 25 anniversary one, had the keychain and all that. Uh, so, um, yeah, I've uh, I, I've been able to enjoy it kind of most of my entire memory, I guess, like my life memory, whatever, has always kind of been there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember watching it primarily as like an adult because when I grew up, I almost exclusively watched cartoons, so I missed out on a lot of movies that were prominent at the time, like in the mid nineties, early two thousands. Like I missed out on seeing a lot of those movies, um, unless they were on TV. Like that's where I saw glimpses of back to the future. Like I always see parts of back to the future, like in between me trying to find a cartoon show to watch. I'm like, Oh, Oh, this guy's like running from these people in the future. Like, Oh, hoverboard. That looks cool. Click. Oh, great. (laughs) Super friends. Like, that's the thing that I uh, did, but man, there are so many gems in Back to the Future 2, and I'm, I'm, I'm connecting more of the story between 1 and 2. Uh, I think the third one is the one I've seen the least. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people. And I, and I know that it kind of ends on, on a cliffhanger, but yeah, it ends, well, maybe we should just get into the review of the Sorry. whole thing. Maybe I think this is also a good time to throw down the blanket spoiler alert if you're listening to this. Uh, podcast yeah. about movies. There will be spoilers about the movie that we talk about, right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, another thing, this is the first time that we are talking about Back to the Future as a past movie. Oh man. Because Back to the Future, every, like, I think part of the hype of it is like it takes place in the future. It was always a possibility. And I think even right, even on October twentieth. I think the morning of October twenty first. Even I was like. You know, they're going to make an announcement that, you know, hoverboards are a thing or something like give us something. Nike ended up making the shoes, um, but because of production, they're going to be six months late. And it's like, oh, really? You had 30 years to do this. Yeah. So we are going to talk about Back to the Future from the now future and the present. It was so cool to see it. One more thing about the theaters, too. I was watching it in a, in a packed theater. It ran from 429 all the way to 1130. We watched the, wow. the trilogy of them. Um, and you really do pick up on a ton of stuff. I mean, I've been watching for over 20 years, and I still catch new things every single time. But it was cool to yeah. see people in the theater that you could tell had originally seen it in theaters, and they were watching it mm-hmm. with their kids. Uh, and the kids were in awe just like i was when i was a little kid so i do think it's a series that spans generations and that's why it's a classic oh totally so i guess let's go ahead and start start from the first one to because you watch all three of them yeah so i know we were originally going to talk just about back to the future 2 because that's Mm -hmm. like the date that it is now that's why it was back to the future day but it I find it so right. difficult to talk about the second one without talking about the first and third because it really is one yeah. story. Yeah. No, I'm down with it. Let's do cool. it. Yeah. For the first Back to the Future, I think um, – and gr- help me fill in sure. the gaps, Grayson, because uh, I haven't seen – the last time I saw that one fully was with mm. you, uh, but it's the most recent time I've seen it. But from what I remember is it was really a cool story about Marty basically – growing up and being or teaching his dad to be the man that he wanted him to be right so marty 
without realizing it, has fallen into the same character flaws that his dad had in high school. And it's not until he confronts his yeah. dad in 1955 that he's able to recognize that in himself. Like, he sits mm-hmm. down at the lunch table with him, and George McFly is writing all the, the science fiction stories. He's like, I don't want to share it because, you know, what if people said I wasn't good enough? I couldn't handle that kind of rejection, which you know, mm-hmm. pairs with Marty not wanting to put himself out there with his band, the Pinheads, realizing mm-hmm. like, hey, I, what if I get rejected? That's the end of it. And so he's able to kind of see himself in that, uh, in that relationship. And it's also a really cool story of not only like Marty, like through his parents uh, becoming the teenager that he wants to be, but he also shows his parents like he, he does affect his past. Yeah. Um, oh, goodness. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. When he goes back to 1955, mm-hmm. he affects 1985 greatly by um, almost leading his parents through these different events that they were kind of just passive players in. And I thought that was really cool. But like he helped them to take charge in their life because like George wasn't going to talk to uh, Lorraine and um, because he was very passive and Lorraine wasn't going to talk to George because I mean, he was very passive. He wasn't very forward, but the thing that she was attracted to in Marty was his decisiveness and how, forward he was with like what he wanted to do in life and she was just very attracted to that and it was the same thing that she didn't realize in george was there and i thought that was i just thought it was a really cool connection just between um what marty was needing for himself in 1985 he was being and giving to his parents into the 50s absolutely yeah i mean lorraine straight up tells marty what she wants in a man she says i think a man should be strong and be able to stand up for the woman he loves and Mm -hmm. that i mean that that's what she wants and that's not what george is at the time uh and Mm -hmm. so they come up with that crazy plan to like hey i'll i'll take advantage of you in a car and you'll Come up and, and save me, which is not a bad plan. Because it's the 50s. I mean, yeah, it was the 50s, you know. You've yeah. seen Greece. I mean, I think the, the fine line that Marty really walks is not becoming, you know, Oedipus in happy days. I think for the first one, like, I think you pointed this out to me a couple of years ago, but, like, the first movie, or more so the Bats of Future trilogy, uh, really does, it's just, like, one story told in three movies. Right. And like they diff, they each movie has its own arc, but it's not necessarily standalone per se. Yeah, I would argue that the only one that is really standalone is the first one. You never know if you're going to get a sequel made, really. Um, so it's a self-contained movie. But then coming back, uh, like in the second movie, at the end, they show you a trailer for the third movie because. Two and three were written together. So it it was very intentional. Like they have references to Mad Dog Tannen in the second one. Like they knew what they were going to do. Whereas the jump from the first to second, much sharper. Back Mm -hmm. then, they didn't know that they weren't going to get Crispin Glover back or that it was going to be even the story that it was. The original plan for Back to the Future 2 was going to be that they actually weave through like the hippie era, go through the 60s and 70s and... They okay. they adjusted it quite a bit in order yeah. to get around a bunch of just logistics that didn't make sense at the time. Uh, but I, mean, I think they have a stronger film because of it. I, I don't think we really need to see what happened 10 years after the events of 1955 or, or anything like that. I think going forward made a lot of sense, even though they don't really spend a lot of time there. And then even though it's not as popular, I think going all the way back makes a ton of sense as well because in in essence hill valley is a character just like doc and marty Mm -hmm. and we we see hill valley change the most of of all of them so to go back to the origins of hill valley from the start of the clock let's see the birth of the clock tower and that's that's really the value of the third one Um, while it is doc's story it's also the story of hill valley and how this community ended up becoming that future that we see in 2015 Oh, man, that's such a great point, because it makes me think about how the story or the stories being told in Back to the Future really points to how much history can change and how the mayor, 
like in 1955, he just worked at the malt shop, right? Oh yeah, Goldie Wilson. Yeah, he was he was sweeping. Yeah, Goldie up. Wilson. Mayor Goldie Wilson. Yeah, mayor. Such great delivery. But uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was just working in the diner, and then uh, Marty yeah. gives him the idea to become mayor. Yeah. When you talk about time travel, it's a tricky place to talk about, just with like how influences happen, like. Marty just goes back in time and does whatever he wants with the future. Or even in the future with like Doc saying, no, we have to stop your kids from doing like all these different things. Mm -hmm. And like, that's like fixing time is interesting. Um, But I think the most interesting thing is, is that all Marty does, especially in the first movie is he just is present there. Like he's not necessarily doing anything trying to change the future per se right he's just trying Except to fix for... the mistake that he made he made one mistake right off the bat and i was interfering mm-hmm. with george getting hit by the car and everything with the parents is about fixing that if marty still mm-hmm. hadn't have intervened he would still need the lightning bolt to get back to 1985 so that would be the main right. story mm-hmm. which you can argue is the main story but i think the the story that resonates with most people is the relationship with the parents i mean when i was watching it in theater and george punched out biff the entire theater applauded they knew what was going to happen but it was still like they were watching it for the first time oh man because like when you look at marty as like a protagonist he is just a regular guy mm-hmm. like i i also like that about marty is like he's not this super cool super suave um guy per se he's just like a regular guy who befriends a, a an eccentric uh you know, scientist. Yeah, he's an outcast. Uh, they said in a, in a background interview, they were asking about, like, why would Doc and Marty actually be friends? And it's because the two of them are outcasts in Hill Valley. With Doc putting on the kinds of experiments that he was, that would be intriguing to a fellow outcast being like, oh, that's, that's weird. I'm going to check it out. And then Doc yeah. actually hires him to be, like, an assistant, like an internship. Yeah. And then Back to the Future 2, mm-hmm. I think, because like, I just saw it yesterday... In that movie, I was able to appreciate so much more than maybe any other time ever. Just because so much coverage was being put on that uh, movie. And they were pointing out so many different things that I wasn't paying attention to. Because, like, the big thing is that there's technology that exists in that movie today. Right. Like, video conferencing was not a thing in 1986, I think, when that movie came out. When the sequel came out, it was like a year or later, right? Uh, yeah, it was a couple years after. Uh, I think there's a three-year yeah. difference. Yeah, it was 89. Yeah. yeah, first one came out in 85. So it came out four years yeah. later. Like, video conferencing exists. Like, the voice like activated everything. Like, yeah, or the... um. Oh, the thumb. The, the uh, fingerprint. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, that's on the iPhone. Like, that's crazy. Like, they, in, th- you know, 3D movies had, like, a revival a couple of years ago. And we have Jaws 19. <laughs> you know, it's just really great to see all the things that are now here that they, uh, they didn't necessarily predict. Like, because they're like, oh, well, they predicted it. But I think it is just, like, the idea of thinking about what would be forward because this is 30 years in the future right so like thinking that well if everything we have now is like let's just say we have skateboards now well of course in 30 years we would be thinking of innovating the next thing because like i yeah because i forget what span of time like we um decided that yeah let's just go to the moon like let's just do that because why not (laughs) you know well, I, I think that the uh, the big change for us is like jumping from the 50s to now is the invention of the computer chip. You know, like when when Marty's watch goes off in the first movie, it makes a sound that Lou had never heard before. And so he's hmm. like, wait, what was, what was that? And it was something electronic. Um, and so I think f- to, for us to get to a future like the one in 2015, Back to the Future, you have to have that next major breakthrough and for in the world of back to the future it's being able to control like magnetics and gravity and everything that's very atmospherical like hoverboard is magnetic technology like all the hover cars magnetic technology uh being able to manipulate that space i I would argue even the weather service that they reference is 
mm-hmm. an extrapolation of that same kind of technology. Like they just have a better understanding as to how how particles work together and how you can restrict those mm-hmm. and manipulate them. So for them, that's like their that's their that's their computer chip that they're able to control it like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see how. Um, first off, that like Hill Valley, like the movies take place in Hill Valley. Right. So like his, like I think his neighborhood and stuff yeah. is two miles outside of Hill Valley. But any time that we're really seeing a good chunk of what's happening in that time, it's all in Hill Valley. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much this isolated community in California that had this story that was worth telling over the course of a hundred years, uh, yeah. 130 years actually. Well, yeah, because all the characters, like I, I love the chase scene every single time because it's it's the same chase scene, but like all the characters, it's not even so much that like time is like setting itself up, but like the characters are the same. Like no matter what time period you're going to be in, you're going to see a Biff. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have the Biffs of the world. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting to just see how throughout different time periods you have those not polar opposites but like you have those antagonists who you would think would just be gone with mm-hmm. but like if like anytime i think about back to the future and like context to like my parents i'm just like oh man like who's the biff in my parents mm-hmm. timeline you know yeah. like who's the guy who they were just like oh man if i just would have just told that guy off or like see how it would have gone differently for that guy i'm like man like but he would be everywhere you know yeah i think it's important to note too that you you bring up how everything kind of circulates in each time well i think that's why the sequels work and why they weren't failed sequels to back to the future Mm -hmm. is because of that cinematic rhyming like the movies rhyme with each other we're able you're able to see the same chase scene uh you're able to see him wake up in the bed and not know where he is and leah thompson's always going to be the one to tell him where he really is i it's it's just going to happen over and over again which is why by the time you get to the third one the chase scene you expect him to like i don't know jump on a horse or something and get away but no this is the one where they caught him and they're going to kill him and and so Mm -hmm. uh, it sets up expectations in a really nice way but the fact that they all rhyme makes them feel like verses of the same song so it it works out really well Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Because like, that's like, I think the most time that we spend in uh, Hill Valley in the future is in, or at least in the future that people compare uh, 2015 mm-hmm. to, is the future where it's uh, hoverboards and it's uh, Biff still being like the old, basically indentured servant kind of character. Right. Just wiping his grandson's car now. <laughs> right. Um, and then the sports almanac happens. And then we get uh, Donald Trump Biff. Yes. Um, who uh, owns a line of casinos. I mean, the comparison is, it, it welcomes itself. It's right there. Yeah. So basically, in the first movie, we see Marty help his dad become the father that he wants him to mm-hmm. be. But then the second movie, Back to the Future 2, we see Marty become the man he wants to be. 2015 Marty is selfish basically corrupt right like he sends right yeah like, he, information that he wasn't supposed to send yeah to needles yeah no one calls me chicken don't call me chicken needles. yeah well it's yeah. In- interesting too because the whole chicken thing was specifically designed for back to the future two and three they never reference it ever in the first one because they they knew that that would be a through line because that's what gets him to drag race at the end and almost ruin his life by getting hit by the Rolls Royce. It fits in so naturally just because it's so well told, but you buy it you're like, oh yeah, it's chicken. I think that the effects of the first movie have to be counterbalanced by the second and third movie. So the first movie was all about stand up for yourself. Like nobody pushes you around. George, you got to be a man. And by proxy, like Marty's going to be a bigger man because of it too. And then Two and three are like, all right, let's calm it back. You achieved what you wanted to do, but there's a limit to how far you should push this. And so we're we're seeing the effects of Marty not being able to shut off the trajectory that he started in the first movie. Mm -hmm. Well, and a thing that I just realized is that, like, really, in the first movie, Marty unknowingly 
is preventing his dad from being who he is in the present. And like, or I'm going to have to use numbers again. Um, 1985, Marty is helping 1955 George become a better man than he was in 1985. Right. And then in 2015, 1985 Marty is seeing the man he becomes in 2015 and is working himself to not only set things right so that 1985 gets back, but to not basically become the Biff of the alternate 2015. Hmm. Interesting. If that makes sense. Because, like, you know, he was... Marty was going to take the sports almanac. Right. Yeah, he was going to use it the same way. He says, like, he stole my idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting to know that it's not necessarily that Biff is that bad of a guy or has that evil of an intent for himself, but like that alternate timeline could have easily been Marty mm-hmm. because even that Marty was already willing to cheat already willing to um, like risk his job um, off of his own pride. And uh, I think it's interesting for him to see like, Oh wow. Like there is like, it's not only that a, uh, a choice like that will affect me, but it will also affect what my kids do, you know? Right. Because, I mean, that's what he's going into the future for in the first place. Yeah, I think a lot of the characters in Back to the Future are actually very selfish, um, which is why they ring true for the most part. I think the only character that demonstrates that the least is Doc. Um, he is consistently doing things for unselfish reasons. He, he wants the bigger questions of time to be answered. Like, even in the third one, he does the hard thing and decides that he has to leave because it's just not right. It's not fair to Clara to, to do that. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that Marty is just a few shades on the other side of Biff and very easily could be reversed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the idea that if you follow Biff through the timeline, that he actually... I mean, he's a horrible dude who like molested Marty's mom, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see him. If you trace him back to mad dog Tannen. Mm. So mad dog is this horrible guy gets put in jail. Essentially he procreated at some time, I guess, and had kid Tannen, which you find out if you played the game and then Biff, like it's just this series of like not having this positive influence in his life. And so, while yeah. Biff's while Biff's influence was absent most of the time, I, I would say that Marty's was almost equally as absent in the way that he didn't have someone to stand up and tell him, like, hey, this is this is what you're supposed to do in this situation. Yeah, because, like, as iconic of a character as Dot Brown is, he doesn't, like, he plays, I like to call it the Joey role of um, the storyline. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> he yeah. he's active in the story and in the plot. Um, and he does support and he is a vehicle and a means in which to get to and from the future. But he's also not as, well, I'd say this, I'd say that he is also Marty's moral compass. Yeah. Yeah. Like just like, like he's the true good. Like where he's just like, Hey, listen, Marty, we are coming to this future, um, to save your kid's future. Like, like, and, you know, Doc always, like, in the whole other movie, he's like, listen, we can't mess up and intervene too much in the past or the future. Like, it's not our, it's not ours to write or unwrite. Mm-hmm. But I think that Doc realized if we can guide people and point them into the right direction, that they will choose right for themselves. Yeah, he believes in people. Yeah, because it didn't take much for Marty to have an impact not only on his family, not only on his parents, but his entire family. Like, because he affected the past in a positive way, his brother and his sister turned out as stronger people. Yeah. I think it's the same choice that Doc was helping Marty make for his kids in 85. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, if, if there was a father figure, it's definitely Doc. And then I remember the third one the the least. There, there so are horses. Will, there are, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, the, the Western angle is really interesting because it is Doc's story by that point. I mean, Marty has had so many chances to get back and forth. And he, uh, the, I think in the ultimate act of of 
unselfishness, Marty goes back to 1885 because he does want to save Doc. He wants to save his friend. Although, although, Doc did leave him specific instructions not to come back for him. So maybe it is selfish. Maybe he doesn't want to live life without Doc. Mm. But then he found out he's going to get shot. So then he's going to go back anyway. Justified. You can go round and round with it. One thing I want to point out about the Doc timeline is I did a project where I edited together Doc's story chronologically, Doc to the Future, where it starts in 1955 with Marty knocking on his door, telling him that he's invented a successful time machine, all the way through to him leaving on the train at the end. And so it, it follows sequentially how Doc would have experienced these events. And you realize that if there was ever a, an argument for circular time and back to the future, which you can argue both ways a lot of the time, um, I, I think you see that in Doc's story, that his main character flaw, the reason he wasn't successful is because he didn't believe that he could be successful. His reaction when he sees the DeLorean is, I finally made something that works. And he says when he's about to send Marty back the first time, you mean a great deal to me. Like, I know that I can I can do something. You've inspired me to, to actually put my mind to this and do something that's great, uh, which probably wouldn't have happened if Marty hadn't been there in the first place. But it is um, Doc kind of having to go along with the ride for the first first third of the story, really. Um, and then mm-hmm. it, it's not until Doc goes to the future that he's like, I'm, I'm taking things back. Like, I'm going to take control. We can actually change this. Because um, up until now, it's been preventative. Like, he, he changed his own timeline by wearing the bulletproof vest at the end of the first movie. And Marty saved mm-hmm. his life. And so now the rest of Doc's life is spent trying to fix Marty's. And then by the time you get to the third one, it's supposed to be Doc's retirement, but every time you go further back in a time travel story, you risk messing absolutely everything up. Like it doesn't matter what you did before. If you go further back, you will undo everything. Yeah. I was able to appreciate Doc in a new light when I was rewatching it because he, I mean, he is, he's so more sure of himself and very confident. Cause like, as far as we know, like he is, or at least in this world, um, he invented time travel, and he's not like arrogant about it. Like he, like he, as far as we know, has taken two trips, mm-hmm. and both of them involve Marty with the second one. And like he's like, listen, Marty, I sent you back at this point in time by accident, really, but then. He saved his life, and so he's like, listen, Marty, I owe you and your family at least this. I can help you change this future. And, like, that's it. Like, he's, like, Doc's first instinct isn't to get rich quick. It's to help a friend. And I think that's so cool. Like, he goes out of his way to support Marty and um, having the kind of life that he thinks that he's deserving of. And I think that's super, super cool. Yeah, in fact, uh, Doc did quite the opposite, didn't get rich. He lost everything to pursue time travel. He lived in a mansion and had millions of dollars and his entire family fortune was just eaten up in this pursuit of of a vision that he was shown in 1955. Oh, one, one crazy thing, and I, I have no answer for this, but in Back to the Future 2, you remember the guy that's trying to get him to save the clock tower and then the Cubs thing comes on, the Cubs in Miami. That guy... His name is Terry. When we flash back and Biff is giving the old Biff is giving the book to 1955 Biff, it's right after Mm -hmm. or a couple days after Biff had covered his car in manure in in the chase. That mechanic that he's talking to is Terry. It's meant to be the same character. That's why the old guy is in old makeup. And so he's he's telling him like 300 bucks and Terry's like, I can't even eat inside the mechanic shop. It smells so bad. And, And so... It's uh, I don't know why they did that, but oh. it's it's amazing to see that there are characters that exist through all of the time periods, even if they, they barely have a name. That's awesome. Terry, put some money on the cubbies. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything that you saw now in 2015 that you didn't see before when you watched it? That happens to me every single time I watch, watch Back to the Future. Um 
One thing that seemed super obvious this time in the first movie was in the opening sequence. I don't know how I've watched the opening sequence so many times and never noticed this. And it's probably a super well-known thing online, like the lone, lone pine, twin pine thing. Like that's everywhere. Like, did you know? Yes, we know. They make it very clear. Uh, <laughs> but the thing I keep, I kept missing until I saw it yesterday was in the opening sequence with all of those clocks, there is one clock with a guy hanging off the hands of it, like how Doc is hanging at the end. They're foreshadowing the ending of the movie in the opening shot. And I, I just always skip wow. past it. Never noticed it. I was too tied up trying to read all the backstory about like the mansion burning down and everything. I, I missed the clock. But I thought that was wow. such a cool touch. But yeah, I, I always pick up on, on uh, something different. That movie is so deep. Nothing's wasted either. From a screenwriting perspective, you can look at, at one, two, or three. Nothing is, is wasted at all. Even the fact of Biff running out at the beginning of the second movie and being like, Hey, Marty, I wanted to show you the design of my new matchbooks. That's because we need to establish that Biff has matchbooks so that whenever Marty sees the matches in alternate 1985, he could grab it, turn it over, and see it change back to the auto detail matchbook. Without that first thing, the ending seems really contrived and random, but we buy into it because they just drop these little nuggets of dialogue everywhere to have everything make sense. Oh, gosh. I, I think, I man, I should just watch all of them. Because I really want to see all those different setups and payoffs for, like, what they did in just all of them, really. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man, that's exciting. I would also recommend playing the game. The, the, the five episodes in the Telltale version of the game are really well done. Uh, Christopher Lloyd actually does the voice. Uh, Michael J. Fox doesn't do the voice, but the guy that does it sounds exactly like Michael J. Fox. It's, it's pretty amazing. And that one takes place in the 30s. So as far as bridging the generational gap, it does a really nice job because you see uh, what would be Biff's father. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and for those of you listening, there is a Back to the Future game that you can play and the way that Grayson has described it to me is actually like a fourth movie, like an unofficial fourth movie. In a lot movie. of ways, yeah. They, they worked really hard to make sure that it felt like the movies. Um, I, I actually look at then the, the reason Hill Valley as a character stands out to me so much is because of that game. Because you actually get to interact a lot more with the surroundings and kind of take note of what the different things are throughout Hill Valley. And the best part of all of it is it's Doc's story. It's what Doc was like as a kid, which is pretty amazing. So uh, I highly recommend the game if you're a fan of Back to the Future. Yeah, I really want to play it. I, I remember you playing it, and you're just like, Ricky, it's heavy, man. Oh, it's heavy. Well, this game. <laughs> like, oh, jeez, Rick, this is too heavy. <laughs> oh, oh, geez, oh, I don't know, Rick. <laughs> oh, I have, Morty, I have too Morty. much control over these characters that I love. No, Morty, Morty, we gotta get back. We, we gotta go back to. The, we gotta go. We gotta go back to the future, Morty. Oh, another yeah. cool thing about the game too is it connects the Strickland story. <laughs> yeah, I know everyone was wondering what's the story of the Stricklands. I know great grandpappy Strickland was a was a marshal. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it connects all that. So Jewel was Jewel was really laughing. Sorry, my wife was laughing really hard at Marshall Strickland because he has the the long hair. He looks pretty silly in the third one. It was like yeah. he looks like he's from that time, and like people were laughing and having a good time. I was very sad for all the Marshall Strickland stuff because if if you watch the deleted scenes from the third movie, you know that uh, Mad Dog Tannen straight up murders Marshall Strickland, like kills him dead in the woods. And that little kid, the, yeah, little Strickland, watches this happen. And that's the reason why each Strickland is so serious is because they pretty much, like, passed on this tradition of this is your job now. Like, you take care of things. You're disciplined. And it's because it's because of Biff. That's why Strickland and Biff are direct counters to each other for almost every movie. That's crazy. Even in alternate 1985, Strickland never sees the the biff but strickland definitely isn't taking it lying down like he's the guy that's full military standing on the porch like he's not going to let the environment control him and and so strickland and biff i think are is a really interesting dynamic um because technically i mean they're they're both people with power they're both want their way and they're both after control they're very similar 
kind of how we're talking about Marty, Marty and Biff are just a few shades off. I think Strickland and Biff could very easily go toe to toe and end up on the other side of the spectrum. One's just dedicated to order and the other's dedicated to chaos, but they want the same thing, Mm -hmm. which is ultimate control. The hidden storyline of Strickland is, (laughs) is one of my favorites and they explore it even more in, in the game. That's so cool. Like when it comes to movies, I love, extra features and deleted scenes because they are scenes that they had to cut either for time or for whatever reason but i think basically act as an extended version mm-hmm. um, of the stories and when they have a deleted scene it means that it was supposed to be in the story at some point in time so mm-hmm. i i didn't know that there was such a great piece of story still within uh back to the future and the extra or in the deleted scene, yeah. so it's like super. It's exciting. a really quick scene, but they said in the commentary that they they took it out just because it was too dark. Like it really cast a shadow over everything else, and like you see that happen, you want to you want to see Mad Dog Tannen kind of pay with his life by the end of it, and that's not where the story goes. It would be way too dark. I'm like, oh gosh, Marty just killed a person. Like that that would be way too much. So it, it, they decided like it's still true, still happened, but didn't need to be in there. Cutting in uh, scenes to make extended versions are super exciting. That's why uh, I really like Back to the Future, the Rogue edition, where uh, Rogue was actually supposed to be in Back to the Future the whole time. And uh, they cut her out because she was uh, two years old. I like it. And speaking of extended media, uh, there is also a game of Flux, right? That's a Back to the Future uh, thing? Chrononauts, yeah. Same company Chrono-Nauts. that makes Flux. <clears throat> so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Chrononauts is a time-traveling card game that I also recommend, but they were able to get the licensing for Back to the Future to where you can play the Back to the Future card game and adjust all of the points from the story. It's the complete trilogy, too, so it's a lot of fun. And in the game, you get different items, so like the Sports Almanac is one of them. Actually, in normal Chrononauts, the Sports Almanac is one of the items. Just straight up up Chrononauts, yeah, not even the Back to the Future version. Uh, Gray's Sports Almanac. Nice. Uh, but yeah, the Back to the Future card game by Looney Labs is amazing. A lot of fun. Yeah. So lots of different ways to play and explore the story of Back to the Future even further than uh, what 2015 took us to. Yeah. And I think that kind of interactivity that it's had, how it, it had the trilogy, it had the TV show, the animated TV show, uh, games of various kinds, like... I think if the question is, does it still hold up? Like, I think it does because we've been able to re-explore this story so many different ways. And from looking at the reaction of the people in the theater, I think it was clear. Yeah, it absolutely holds up. I think there's a a nostalgia, a layer of nostalgia that's wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's just as valid. And uh, it's a classic. Oh, totally. And it's one of those movies where I know people point to, oh, 2015, flying cars and all these other things kind of would date the movie typically mm-hmm. i feel like it doesn't though like and with for example a movie that i saw um that i never saw as a kid but saw as an adult was you've got mail oh yeah and that movie is so entirely dated it boggles my we're doing mind that one next week because... <laughs> you sure <Yeah>. are <laughs> because like that movie it just has so many different references that are just like can you believe that people are losing their jobs because they're playing solitaire at work I mean, who, that's not what computers are used for. Like, they make those kinds of references. Yeah. I didn't feel that with Back to the Future because it was based in 1985. Like, it was grounded in that reality. And because it is, like, a time travel movie, it almost acts like a multiple-act period piece. So you get yeah. the eight, like 1985 that is well-established and just based in that reality. And then you go to the 50s, which is... In that reality, then you go to this version of 2015, which even though it doesn't match our current reality, it is still the idea of it being the future. Like, I feel like 2015 looks closer to what we would imagine this future being Mm -hmm. from now. Because another thing that I don't think Back to the Future talked about necessarily or explicitly uh, was like Wi-Fi or the internet, right? Because like it wasn't a thing then. Yeah, there, no, no just, cell phones, nothing like that. Yeah. yeah, 
And I think that's something that um, is so cool about this movie is that we get to see it, it, it does feel timeless. It feels timeless and it feels classic. And there are so many other themes in it that help it to feel that way. Because it's not like it's the future. It's a time travel movie. It's not like about the time travel or it's not about the technology. Mm-hmm. It's about family and it's about friendship and it's about all these other things and the future or the time periods play background to it. Right. You know? Yeah. Like the first and foremost, it's about these relationships and these people and things might look differently, but the people and kind of like what you're saying, like the rhythm of the scenes are there too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Quick head cannon that, that I hold is that if Marty had never traveled back to 1955 in the first movie and the events of 1985 had continued on, we would have arrived at our current version of 2015. It would have been normal. But the fact that he went back and changed that and inspired George McFly to publish his novel, I believe the writings of George McFly and all the sci-fi inspired other creators to invent the machines that we see in Back to the Future's version of 2015. So they're actually in an alternate universe where the events of 1955 have made this possible. Interesting. I like that headcanon. That's that's solid. I think my headcanon before was um, when people were saying, oh, well, we don't have hoverboards and things like that. I'm like, "Uh, guys, we didn't see what the future recorrected itself to. (laughs) Right. Like, we only know that, like, oh, we stopped Biff from giving himself the almanac. Therefore, 1985 should be fine. Yeah. Like, but we don't ever go back to 2015 to make sure that that stays the same. Because when Marty altered 1955, 1985 changed. But for the better, but it still changed. Right. And so my headcanon was that, Oh, I mean, we never saw what the future recorrected itself to. Like, we saw the baseline, and then we saw a B timeline, and then we saw, we never saw what the either C or recorrected altered past would be, or past of 2015 would be. Right. Which I think would be this. Which is why the future is whatever you make it. (laughs) That the future is whatever you make it. (laughs) So make it a good one. So make it a good one. I sound like Nixon. Um, The. That point brings us to one of the major plot holes in Back to the Future, which I think it's very clear that I love this movie series, but the fact remains there is no reason why Biff should have been able to return to that version of 2015 after giving the book to himself in 1955. So hmm. I think that Biff should have handed him the oh, like I know I know things stretch out and fade away. We saw that in the first one, like Dave faded right. away, Linda faded away, and then eventually right. Marty faded away because I guess the events are happening on a separate plane somewhere else. Like the events that mm-hmm. are occurring in 1955 are simultaneously occurring in 1985 and 2015. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how Biff got back to 2015. I've never been able mm-hmm. to justify that in my head. Because in my mind, he hmm. should have handed young Biff the book, explained it, and then faded away next to a tree or something. Or just, like, disappeared from the car. Because there's no way that That's super fair. rich Biff is wearing the diner clothes that he wipes Griff's car in. <laughs> like that's It doesn't end in the same spot. Interesting. But only counter-argument would be is that for Biff, in the same way that 2015 can't be the same future that Doc returns to... Hmm. You see what I'm saying? So if Doc takes Marty from 1985 to go to the future to stop his kids from doing something, that disrupts that time. Oh, you're right. They should never be able to go to the future. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. But he went to a point before that. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Right. But prior to that point, he never left. So something we know about all of the photos that are taken in Back to the Future in the third movie, they establish this is what will happen if the current events stay on course. Uh, they say mm-hmm. with the headstone. They, they ask, like, well, why why did Doc's name disappear and Clint Eastwood's name come up? Like, why, why didn't the headstone disappear altogether? So the final image in Biff's story is Biff getting out of the car when his cane snaps. 
and he, he goes over mm-hmm. by the garbage and just kind of fades away. In my mind, he always died. I just assumed that he died. Like, I mm-hmm. I guess the the brutal side of my mind just imagined that his cane, like, went into his side and he bled out by the trash. Oh, Head cannon. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but I think it makes more sense that what we're actually seeing and the reason he's so bad at driving the car back in, not just because he's old and doesn't know how to operate the car. I mean, the guy was an expert on cars for years. Like, he knows how cars right. work. I think huh. he's fading away and losing his abilities the same way that Marty couldn't play the guitar when he was starting to fade. I think Ooh. we're seeing those catch up to him and instead of yeah. just dying by the trash he's actually fading away from that timeline because he was yeah. the one that affected that change just like how marty was the one who in 1985 pushes dad away and he affected the change so it, it hits the person that changes the past first there right. well it took me it took me over 20 years to justify it but there, there it is <laughs> there we did it right here it happened we did he it. didn't die by the trash. Yeah. He just faded away. And now past you is slowly fading away because you now came to this point where you realized it. I made a huge mistake. I'm going to hold my hand up and wave my <laughs> fingers in front of my face Whoa. so everyone in the school can see me become transparent. There's the headline. Transparent boy plays guitar. Marvel's 100. <laughs> real, real quick thing. Why do you think they named their third kid Marty? When they say, Marty, that's such a nice name. Do you think Dave and Linda were like family names that they were obligated to? Like, oh, man, my, my mom-in-law is going to be really upset if I don't name my first kid Dave. But the third one will yeah. be Marty. Yeah. <laughs> I think the um, – because which – who's older, Linda? I think Dave's older. I, yeah, I think so it goes Dave, Dave Linda, older. Marty. Yeah, because he disappears I, first, then Linda. Then, yeah. Yeah, I would say it's like, all right, great. We'll name our first kid Dave. It's like, yeah, but we're sa- named our second boy, Marty. Linda comes along. All right. If we have another one, Marty. 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 <laughs> That's my guess. I still think they would have named him Calvin. Like, she knew his name was Marty, but she consistently accidentally calls him Calvin. Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. And I think the, um, I guess the thing that I'll say that I thought was really cool that people were pointing to about Back to the Future in 2015 was how, though we don't have the Jaws 19, we are getting a Star Wars Episode 7. That's true. So, who, who would have thought that? That's awesome. You know? Yeah, not, none of, no, no one. Not even Steven Spielberg conceived that. He's just like, yeah, yeah, no. We're done. Like, we've told all the stories. If anything, we will tell the prequels, and then we will be done. <laughs> seven? Man, I, I have my own theories about Star Wars Episode 7, but we'll get to that eventually. We will. Great. So to recap, what do we think? I think it holds up. I think the lack of specific technology in the present makes it, like you said, a period piece that you can enjoy it from any time. I think you have to look at it, though. The fact that we are currently living in one of those time periods makes it a lot more accessible to us. I'd be interested to see how it holds up 30 years from now, whenever mm-hmm. all of it is deep past. You're like, hey, that's doesn't really resonate with me anymore but for now we can at least connect to one of the storylines um and a lot of the viewers can connect to one or two of the the other time periods totally yeah and i i also man that movie definitely holds up and maybe it's just because i i can be nostalgically biased like i'll say it but like i think that so much of the ambition and heart and how much this movie connected to so many different people for so many different years. Like, like we were saying at the top of the podcast, like I think it's amazing to know how many people were just actively out celebrating back to the future day. Like they were there and the movie itself, I think is, I think the fans reaction is a testament to how good the movie is Mm -hmm. and people's support of, and even expectation, like the amount of people who were like legitimately upset and felt like they were lied to. It's like, I was promised hoverboards. I was promised flying cars. I'm like, oh God, this was a work of fiction. Calm down. Yeah. Like, but to think that so many people were touched by this movie and were looking forward to the future and actually built things that we do have. <laughs> like, I still can't get over like how Skype 
is like a real thing and that movie was just like yeah what if we had like self-tying laces and video conferencing and uh, thumb imprints and this or what we there's another thing in there that i thought was just like crazy that they actually thought of picture in picture um picture picture in picture yeah. on your remote yeah that was a futuristic um, thing that was as futuristic yeah, exactly. as when he's sitting at the dinner table and says i have two tvs this is a rerun yeah but overall i think this movie definitely holds up or i think the series of movies I, i'm gonna have to rewatch the third one to get the full story but definitely Back to the Future 1 and 2 definitely hold up. And if you know anyone who has yet to see Back to the Future, I would encourage them uh, to see it with our Reasons to Recommend segment that I'm just inventing right oh, now. Oh, nice. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Reasons to Recommend this movie. Go. It resonates uh, no matter what the time period is. Uh, stories of people trying to better their lives, fight for survival correct past mistakes those those are storylines that resonate in a variety of settings it's the reason why we celebrate back to the future and the things that it that's in it and we don't celebrate like 2001 a space odyssey like that was in the future i don't remember people going nuts in 2001 and this kind of media coverage and all that because it doesn't have as much heart as back to the future does so uh sorry to all you 2001 fans but whatever um well we're gonna get so we are are gonna get blasted online um so (laughs) we should do that movie now um but yeah back to the future has themes that are timeless that are universal and i think that's why you should watch it because there's so many lessons in there, whether it's standing up for yourself, whether it's fighting for people you love, whether it's knowing when to back off and and knowing that you are secure enough to not have to prove yourself to everybody. Like there, there are lessons peppered in all throughout the trilogy uh, that are worth seeing. Did you mean to make that universal pun? Oh my gosh, you're right. That is universal. universal. That's funny. Yeah. Reasons I would recommend back to the future. Uh, the whole trilogy, even though I vaguely remember the third one, is um, if the first two are any indication of the trilogy as a whole, it is such a great and fun story about creating your own future. Like, as a 20-something quasi-professional semi-adult, like, I oh. feel so stuck in my own timeline and what I feel like is expected of me and what I feel like my, like, I feel like, oh man, what I'm going to do now is exactly what I'm going to be doing in like 30 years and there's no other path for me. But I love the themes of Back to the Future where it's just like the only thing that really uh, affects your future and how it's written is how you're living the present. And I think that's like super inspiring, especially for people who are still trying to figure out their life and figure out what they want to do. In the future, like, because people are like, oh, well, what do you want to do in five years? Or what's your five-year plan? I'm just like, oh, man, that, that can be overwhelming for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Back to the Future makes it very simple. It's just like, oh, well, all you have to do to change your future is to start writing it. And I think that that's super, super cool. It's super inspiring. And that's why I recommend it to people. Because that movie, like... Marty becomes the person who he wants his dad to be and his dad becomes that person because he was inspired by his son to become a leader and to stand up for himself and all these different things. And that's super, super cool. So I would, that's why I would recommend it. Nice. So if there was a, if there was a, another Back to the Future movie, what would you want that storyline to be? If there was another Back to the Future movie, I would want it to be from Biff's son's perspective. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and maybe it's like older marty or maybe it's 2015 marty like taking him under his wing and like guiding him into the future and showing him like helping him to become like not such a punk kid like i think that could be a really cool storyline to see so you want to see biff to the future biff to the future yeah. how about you it's 2015 marty and he gets a knock on the door and it's jules and Vern who are <laughs> probably played by matt damon and ben affleck standing there and they tell marty like we need your help doc's missing we don't know where he is like our dad is gone and we need your help to find him and probably jesse eisenberg playing the young doc (laughs) oh my yeah yeah i'm sold i like that awesome 
Alright guys, thank you so much for listening to Flashback Flicks, and thank you for listening to us talk about Back to the Future. What did you think of Back to the Future Day, and or what did you think about Back to the Future movies, if you watched it long with us, or watched before you listened to this? And what do you think about uh, Libyan know- terrorists? We didn't bring that up. Yeah. What do you think about Libyan no. terrorists? Oh yeah, that Libyan terrorist documentary that you wanted to Oh watch. yeah. It's a spin-off. <laughs> they're not going to do a sequel to Back <laughs> to the Future, but they're going to do a spin-off following Doc's harrowing journey to obtain plutonium from the Libyan terrorists. <laughs> yes. But yeah, tell us what you think on our Twitters. I am at Ricky underscore II, also at Stu Dippin. And you can find Grayson at... At Grayson Howe. Kind of spelled like yeah. it sounds. Kind of spelt like it sounds. And be sure to stay tuned next time when we watch a movie that has a mouthful of leaves. So (laughs) put those leaves in your mouth. Figure out what that means next time here on the Flashback Flicks Podcast. Bye.